I was praying a while ago. I actually had a different series I thought we would do at this point of the year. But I felt like God wanted me to, to focus on something different. And I'm really excited about it. We're going to be looking at some of the healing miracles of Jesus, who he is as a healer. And I think it's going to be something really powerful and profound. Before we do that, I'd love to talk about iPhone apps for a moment if I can. The iPhone came out in about a year and a half. It was like two years later. They opened up the App Store. That actually wasn't an initial feature. So they allowed people to create apps for it. And when they did, and it first started, it was mayhem. The weirdest apps were made. I found three that I thought really sum it up. Some solved problems that didn't exist, like a Taxi Hold'em. Taxi Hold'em was an app that you would hold that up when you wanted to summon a taxi so that it could see you wanted it. <laughs> Despite the fact that this means summon a taxi. Like, a taxi drivers are going by and like, are they summoning me or are they praising the Lord? I don't know. <laughs> this would have solved that problem. Um, some of them, uh, like this one, uh, is called iNap at Work. Uh, it solved problems inefficiently. It is exactly what it looks like. It is an app seemingly developed by Ferris Bueller. You would play those sound effects. You'd pick like how loud they were. You'd pick your work activity intensity and it would play the sound of crumpling paper typing on a keyboard and staples so nobody would come into your cubicle and find out you're napping. <laughs> Developed by someone very childish. Be a man, be like the rest of us. Book a work meeting that's gonna be a late lunch. Eat fast and go sleep in the parking lot across the street from your work like an adult. <laughs> uh, the absolute worst though is this one. This is called I Am Rich. It cost $1,000 and that's all it did. That little jewel would come up and it showed you were rich. I will say though, this was a key feature for some people. Women have been on first dates forever wondering, does he have red flags? And for a short amount of time, men made it simple to see that right here. Yes, I do. It's more of a red jewel, but yes, it's a red flag. These apps, they were made with sort of this idea of what silly, stupid little thing can I make this device do? At this point, those are all weeded out. It costs money to be in the app store, so if no one's going to buy your $1,000 I Am Rich app or people realize your taxi app is dumb, they get rid of it. And in fact, if it doesn't even get enough downloads, Apple gets rid of it because they don't want it to be cluttered in their store. And so at this point, we have these normal things. But at first, it was sort of this idea of what can I make it do? And everybody was trying to make it do stuff and little stupid things on the side. I remember the, I was talking to Jake after he got his first iPhone and he was flipping through all the features of it. He's looking at all the buttons and he saw a phone button. And he said for a split second, he went, oh my gosh, I can make phone calls. Because <laughs> you just forget that like, that is what it is. When it comes to Jesus as a healer, we can sometimes think of it almost like it's a silly little side thing. It's a side show or a side gig that he did when in fact it's incredibly integral to who he is. There's a, at the end of Lord of the Rings, when all the wars are fought and everything's over, Aragorn has led all the armies in victory. He comes back to the capital city, Minas Tirith, and he goes into what's called the Houses of Healing where he carries out a healing and he kind of has this blessing of his ancient ancestors to be a healer in some way. They don't say entirely what that looks like. But in the book, it says this. It says, um, uh, Aragorn heads into the houses of healing where he fulfills this old saying, which is the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. So the rightful king could ever be known. He's known as a king, not because of his legal claim, nor his birthright, both he has, 
He's not known as king in the book because he led the people in victory. He's confirmed as king to the people because of his hands of a healer. And no doubt, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a devout Catholic, took some inspiration as he wrote that from his own faith and his own healer king. But the reality is we know Jesus is the Messiah. We know he is the, the king because he is healer, because he is the healer. The first messianic prophecy in scripture happens very, very early. It's the fall of man and the curses have been poured out. Sin has been declared as to what is going to happen because of these things. And one of the things that's said of the woman is it says, there will be one that comes up from the woman who, and he's speaking to the serpent at this point, who is Satan. And he says, he will strike his heel and he will crush your head. It's the first time Jesus is prophesied in scripture. And the first thing he is prophesied to do is to be, yes, a conquering king, but he will be the one that reverses the curse, who brings healing and restoration, that though sin has ravaged and torn things apart, Jesus will not just defeat it, but he will show who he is. This one will come when he heals what happened on that day. Old Testament prophecies are full of messianic healing prophecies. The most famous one is Isaiah 53, 5, which says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is the healer. He is the restorer who heals the whole being, not just one part or another. He heals bodily removing the sin's destruction on the body. He heals the soul, healing the brokenness within, and he heals the spirit by giving us eternal life. All of these things ravaged by sin, the healer comes to bring healing. More than a roaming hospital or a sideshow, he didn't just heal to bring people in so that he could kind of do a a rope them in and then preach to them angle. The healing was part of what he did. He was more than a roaming hospital. He was reversing the havoc and restoring created order. This is the God we serve. We worship the healer God, the one that brings healing. So we're going to read a healing story today, and we're going to see him at work. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 17. One day... Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. This is a considerable distance for many of these people to travel, considering he's in Galilee. This is a long distance to come and review him for. And these men are not coming in good conscience. They reveal themselves very quickly in the gospel narratives as being at a very bad place. There were times that the religious leaders and the teachers of the law were good and solid people. But by the time Jesus comes in, the the criticism that starts back in Ezekiel of the leaders of Israel are bad shepherds. They they brutalized my sheep is back. They They are inundated with bad leaders. And these bad shepherds are Israel's wicked leaders that are coming to find fault in what he has to say. It is their motivation. They're at a point to where their hearts are so hardened and they don't want to release the power they hold on that if the Messiah wasn't exactly who they wanted him to be, exactly what they expected him to be and was going to elevate them with himself, they wanted no part with him. This is very proactive. 
Jesus' ministry is only beginning, and yet they are collecting from all over the country to sit at where he's at. He's at a house, it's crowded, and they are some of the first ones that are there to find fault. It's an interesting thing because darkness will always rise to oppose Jesus' healing work. We can think that when we can, we want healing, we want something to get better, but it seems as soon as we start to try, or it seems like we're on the verge of breakthrough, that a whole bunch of bad things begin to happen and things begin to be undone. You can think things like, I finally was starting to get it together and then all hell broke loose. The universe is against me. Fierce opposition often reveals that God is up to something, though. That people don't, Pharisees wouldn't just go to Galilee. It took a few days just to get there. They gather up because something inside of them, something sinful inside of them senses that their power is being questioned because God is up to something, and they're drawn to that place to bring opposition. Maybe your hard week and your hard year and everything that's led up to all the trouble you've gone through is no evidence that God has abandoned you, but is in fact far more evidence that God is about to do something great and that we really do live in a world where there is spiritual warfare, where there is darkness and there is light and it fights over the people that live here. You cannot think because it seems that all the world is lined up against with a thing that we want God to heal us in, that that is going to stop him. It does not stop him. It can seem intimidating and it can seem enormous, but we have to remember who that darkness is opposing and who it's going to have to fight with. We continue on. It says, some uh, men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went on the roof and lowered him on a mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. This man may be paralyzed, poor, reduced to begging, but he is rich in one area that a lot of people aren't. He was very rich in friends. Those are some very amazing friends people that come around him. We don't know uh, who was family, who was friends in this situation, but the way these people come around him is really remarkable. Jesus always does the healing, but I find so often that real human relationships are in the middle of it. That God will do the healing, but we carry people to him. Needing Jesus doesn't mean that this man doesn't also need his friends. They're the ones lifting him up and lowering him down. They are doing things for him that right now, in a pre-healed state, he cannot do for himself. We desperately need relationships of faith. Imagine if this guy had been saying, as he's laying on his mat and begging for money, I heard there is a healer, and he heals in the name of God. Can we go see him? What if his friends had said to him, enough of this God stuff. God is not going to heal you. We need to think of a different solution. This story would have been dramatically different. And it doesn't go that way. The story would have been dramatically different. He needed friends who shared his hope. Friends that would say, yes, we heard about him. There's a healer in town. And we're very confident that if we get there, it's going to be worth it. Nothing said about how long they traveled. We don't know if it was long or short, but they pick him up and they take him there. I want to tell you, I, 
I want to talk to people when I'm in trouble that I can talk straight to about really what I'm thinking about, that I could say things like, I need God to heal me in this area of my life right now. Discussing the matter with feet planted in eternity. If, if you're talking to someone who does not acknowledge uh, the power of God or the spiritual warfare that we are under, we have to have an edited conversation with them. We can't have the same sharing life with them as we do when we speak to people who share our faith and our hope. As children of God, we do a lot more than just empathy. And empathy is critical to connect with people, and that can happen across a broad spectrum of belief systems that a person can empathize. But we do more than just empathize. There's a saying even, empathy is everything. It's everything if you don't believe in eternal hope. That we can offer this combination of both empathy with someone's pain and pray for hope. Jesus gives hope to his church, and his church clings to this hope. When healing happens, his favor rests on us. The friends you need when you're in trouble are the friends that are going to try to take you to Jesus when you're in trouble. They're going to try to bring you there. A faith relationship can go very sour when we say things like, take it to God, and then we forget them. But a faith relationship with another person is very rich when we say things like, let's take it to God together, and I'll carry you if you can't walk. These friends show a very powerful image of how to both practically come around somebody and to support them, while at the same time lifting them up in faith. Literally lifting him up in faith, carrying him, and bringing him to Jesus to bear each other's burdens. All I can say is don't pass up on asking for prayer. Don't think you don't belong here enough to use the, we have a prayer function on the app. We have a prayer team that's up here and you're surrounded by people right now that if you turn to them and said, I needed prayer, it's something that is in our hearts and something we wanna do. Do not deny yourself that. And don't think you'll cash in all your chips if you require someone to carry a burden for you. One of the greatest ways the enemy can get us is to isolate us. And one of the best ways to isolate us is to tell us nobody is, is worthy of carrying your burden. No one's that low. You are not worthy to ask for any help. You have to do this completely on yourself. It's entirely on you. It's the chief lie of the chief strategy of getting you alone. The church is meant to bear one another's burdens you pull that theology out of Paul's letters and they become very short. Jesus heals in the midst of people. So let's be that people that are together bearing one another's burdens because that is an environment where healing takes place. And we can say, let's take it to God together and I'll carry you and you can't walk. And to give ourselves permission to be carried. Jesus replies, and uh, when he saw their faith, it says in verse 20, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the, teacher of the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then Jesus, uh, or Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and walk, take your mat, and go home. 
Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took, his, took the mat he was laying on, and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. There was a, there was a, a system in, in the temple that a priest had certain moments when he could tell someone their sins were absolved. He couldn't declare it and that he wasn't doing it. He could just say, you fulfilled the law of Moses. And so there was this comfort with that. But the phrasing Jesus uses is against that directly. He is very clearly, and especially in the original language, he's very clearly saying that he is forgiving this person's sins and makes it all the clearer when he clarifies later. Son of man always being a reference to himself. Healing the man's body is one sign, and healing the man's spirit is another. I think it's interesting when he says, what is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And I think it's interesting when we pray for healing for ourselves, we are more comfortable praying for spiritual and internal healing than we are physical healing. Because maybe I can feel like God did something, but I can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm going to know he didn't heal my hand, my foot, my leg, my disease, whatever's coming up in the x-ray. It is easier to pray for one than the other. And what's interesting, though, is that one is much harder to fulfill. I'm telling you, if you can trust God to cleanse your spirit of the ancient curse of sin, but not heal your foot, you actually kind of already have the faith for physical healing. It is a much bigger deal to to forgive someone's sins and to heal them of that than even healing in the body. Divine healing is something that only God can do, and that's what makes this forgiveness so profound. Your sins are forgiven, being the first healing that takes place and the one that takes place after it physical. Because there are some things that you can bind up and heal, but there are some things only God can heal, and Jesus is making it clear. As healer, he has the authority to heal things that only God can heal, that nothing else is going to get to there are many ways to heal yourself, and they can have results. I, I, I am pro, I'm pro uh, like, uh, counseling therapy. I think that it can be very beneficial. Uh, doctors are beneficial. These things are beneficial, and they have results. But sin can make wounds that only God can heal. When we're talking about Jesus, the healer, we're not talking about trusting him in places where we might trust human methodology. We're trusting him at a place where human methodology has to end, and we have to have divine healing. That what happened to us in childhood needs divine healing. The healing we need to pass into eternity and to be God's forever requires divine healing. We must expect divine healing. The things that are dead, dead, dead inside of us, that the rest of the world would say it's time to learn how to cope with that that God has the ability to heal that thing, and we worship and we are with the healer. There's an interesting way that Jesus says your sins are forgiven. We miss it in English. We don't have the tense, but in Greek, there's a way you can say things would carry out or a way a verb takes place. And what he's saying is it breaks down to essentially your sins are forgiven and you're going to continue in that state. Not a, it's forgiven today, let's see how you do tomorrow, but it's your sins are forgiven, and it's going to follow you, it's going to go with you, and the forgiveness will chase you in perpetuity. 
that you will leave here with the favor of God. You know, we hear the phrase gifts given with strings attached, and it sounds negative. And oftentimes we mean it negative. We do not want to get a gift if there's strings attached. If someone's going to buy you an extreme gift, but they expect extreme loyalty to them, we don't like that. And we would rather say no. But in the ancient world, and in fact, areas outside the West, gifts are given exclusively with strings attached. It's a very serious thing to give a gift. It starts a relationship, and that's what it is for. And if you were to ask ancients, you were to ask people from other regions of the country or of the world, what do you think of gifts with strings attached? They would say it would be like anything. They could be good strings or bad strings. But when you're given a gift, it begins a relationship. We get so caught up when we think of salvation in legal terms. Like we have this legal contract and we're forgiven in a court and it's sealed in blood. And and there are some of Paul's theology that fits that. But much of his images we miss because we don't understand that ancient world of gift giving. That when grace is given and faith is given back, it's a picture of a wonderful gift given and the loyalty you give back to the one that gave it to you. The new strings attached and the new relationship when we are healed in our spirit, when salvation becomes ours, we live in perpetual favor with God. That it goes with us. The Holy Spirit goes with us, travels with us where we go. Then when we are messing up again and we feel that we are running from God, we do not realize he's chasing us down. There are so many bizarre things about Ezekiel's vision of the wheels and everything coming at him when he's in the river and they're being taken to Babylon. It can get so weird you miss the point that they are sinful. They've been sent into into exile because of their sinfulness, and yet God left the temple and is chasing them down. That's the core of that image. This is a picture very similar to it. This man and all of those whose sins are forgiven, God chases down in his relationship with us. The strings are attached and they don't get cut off. It chases us. When Jesus heals us in sin, he keeps us in favor with him. More than a contract in blood, we are standing on a whole new relational status with God. We now live with the healer. And he keeps healing until the very end when his healing is complete. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes in Revelation 21. What was it that impressed Jesus in this passage? What was the thing that amazed him? It was their faith. What they believed that they came to this place seeking to get into the house of the healer, couldn't get in, and they just knew they were convinced if we just get in, he'll be healed. There was no question of, well, will it happen when we get there? They just knew they had to get in. Standing room only. They could not get in the room. It's completely filled up. People are on the outside. They're trying to listen through the windows. They're trying to see what's happening, catching the telephone message of who just got healed inside. They're so desperate to get in, and in this faith, They impress God. Jesus looks at them and he's amazed by their faith and healing breaks out with a group that came in. They must have thought to themselves, everybody inside, that place is filled and they're all getting healed. We need to get in there. And the point that I'm trying to make today, church, is that we are in that house of healing. 
with the king who was exemplified and shown who he is by being a healer. We're in there. The faith that led these people in there to say, I need to get in, I need to be healed. We are in the midst of that, living with it, with healing accessible to us. We are with Jesus. And do we think healing is a sideshow or what he fundamentally does? We are in the house of healing. Do we expect that miraculous divine healing is something we're going to be seeing a lot of? It is who he is, Messiah, King, Healer. It's time to expect to be healed in places of our lives that only God can heal. It's time to expect wholeness in our lives where wholeness is taken away. It's time to believe that if we belong to Jesus in perpetuity, in the house of healing, with the healer king all the time, we are going to be watching our cursed world be reversed around us. That we would expect that even though generation after generation of my family has done this, and it seems so certain, it seems so strong, it seems like everything is against us, like Pharisees and everybody coming in to stop the healing, that none of that matters because we are in the healing house with the healing king. We can expect miracles. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be asking that God would increase our faith in his healing touch. That you and I and all of us would expect that there are going to be things in our lives that will be healed that nothing else could heal. What do you need healing in? What is it that you are saying, God, I need to be healed in this area of my life, in body, in spirit, in soul? What is it that we need healing and recovery in? Because we live now from the moment we say yes to Christ, perpetually in the house of the healer. Let's pray. And let's pray knowing that we are sitting right now in the presence of the healer. Jesus, we ask that you would heal our whole being for the next five weeks as we look at your word and we look at how you healed all of us. Lord, increase our faith in your healing. Would you wake us up to the fact that as much as that group wanted to get in, they were so confident that if they just got in, they would be healed. We're already in and we're in your presence, God. Lord, I pray for confidence to say, God, we need healing. Lord, I pray that you would give us across the bridge when it gets there, when our doubt arrives in us, that we would not think to ourselves, what am I going to do? But that we would pray like you will come through, like you are going to heal. Lord, rebuke our backup plans. God, I pray that we would be confident to come right in front of you, asking you to bear our burden, asking you to take up our affirmity, asking you to make us whole. Lord, I pray that we would also be able to trust in others. That we need good friends and people to come around us, to lift us up and to bear us at times. Lord, if we need someone to talk to, just to, to let off the weight, to have someone to share life with, or there's some help that we need, would you give us confidence to do it as scary as it is, particularly the first time. God, I pray for a sense of belonging to be in this church, that we would feel that we belong enough that we could ask. And Lord, I ask that as we see you as healer in our own lives, as we experience your healing touch, 
in the way that it showed all people who you truly were. God, I pray that we would have a greater confidence that we don't just worship anyone or any small thing, but the maker of the universe, the one that was promised from the beginning, the one that makes things whole again, though we break them. I pray that as you heal, we would know to the depth of our spirit that you are King, you are Messiah, and you are God. Come and bring healing into our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.